So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite sting. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. everyone and welcome to this podcast ruined my childhood this is phil Duresmo with you once again and we have eric walinski as always eric hey folks you ever podcast with the devil in the pale moonlight i don't know that they have but they're about to and uh speaking of the devil brendan lowe is with us brendan why don't you say hi to the folks out there how you going i mean i guess i am down under so, <laughs> well, Brendan is joining us because uh, this week we're going to talk about something that he has extensive knowledge in. to talk about the original Batman quadrology. Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. And Brendan, can you can you help explain to all of our listeners out there uh, why I might have reached out to you to join this podcast? Yes, yes. When you, when you asked me to come on, you did say that you wanted to talk um, Schumacher, and, and people that, that don't know me from other podcasts, I'm a, a regular, I'm kind of the third wheel, I guess, on what is the tricycle of, of Holy Batcast? Um, so I'm always on that show with, with Andy and Jamie talking Batman almost weekly. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I have my own pop culture podcast. That's, it's very Batman heavy, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a, a, you know, minus five years, I'm a lifelong Batman fan. I do have a very, very, very big place in my heart for Batman Forever. So, uh, in in June, there was a lot of talk about it on on a few different shows for the twenty fifth anniversary. So, I'll do my best to try and not repeat myself, but it's <laughs> it's going to be a little bit hard. Yeah, but it'll be yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I, I've um, yeah, Batman Forever is a it's it's. I'm not exaggerating when I say it's the movie of my childhood. I'm assuming that's why. That's that's the long answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, and because a lot of people out there feel that it ruined what they knew about Batman to that point, so I'm very interested to to talk about it with you. So, Eric, what are your memories of of Batman from you know when you were born, and '66 series was in reruns on TV all the way through uh, through today? Well, when I was born, I knew nothing about Batman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I it it took until I 
like grew up and had cognitive reasoning abilities and um, come out during the battery scene. <laughs> yeah, I learned learned basic speech patterns and you know recognize. <laughs> It, it took a little while. Like I did not sure. come fresh out of the womb like a Batman fan. Oh um, man, that's interesting. <laughs> that's hard. You know, I don't know what a life would be like without that. But uh, but no, uh, I yes yeah, saw the Batman sixty six in in reruns, and I I love that show. It came on. I want to say like at five o'clock or six o'clock, and they played uh, they played two episodes. And I would write down, and I just threw them away a couple of weeks ago when I was cleaning out my old files. I had these notes where I wrote down every villain and who played them because I thought it was so cool that they had all these different actors every week playing a different character and, and writing down because there were two two different Riddlers mm-hmm. and then there were three Catwomen and yeah. just, you know, how, how that all evolved. And uh, anyway, that was just really neat to me, so... Yeah, every every dinner time, that'd be me down in the bedroom, sitting there watching the. Uh, I think it was Friday nights that came on. But anyway, and then flash forward though, the Batman movie comes out, and I was very interested in seeing it. Uh, I was in eighth grade, but I did not get to the theater to see the first Michael Keaton Batman in the theaters and I did not actually see Batman Returns in the theaters. It wasn't until I saw uh Batman Forever in the theater. Um, wow. that was my first experience with it, yeah. Um and then I read the comics. Uh I didn't have like a huge Batman collection, but I did uh actually start with the Death in the Family series. Great series. Yeah, where uh the Joker kills uh Robin uh, the second Robin, Jason Todd, Jason, Jason Todd. Todd. Yep. Yep. And, uh, that was, just, that was like my first real exposure to the comics was that series. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Cause if you remember, you could actually vote yep. to save Jason Todd, either to have the Joker actually kill him or he could survive. And, and fans were like, kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of savages in this town. Yeah. Yeah. So you went and saw Batman forever in theaters Mm -hmm. and then probably batman and robin in theaters correct yep yep i have a pretty similar path to you i'm a couple years younger than you and a couple years older than brendan so i i uh came out of the womb with ears bat ears um (laughs) but seriously i i did watch the 66 show on tv and i didn't see 89 in theaters because i was eight years old and i don't think that it was appropriate or my parents didn't think it was appropriate um, but I do remember seeing Batman Returns in theaters. And I also remember, I, I was, what would I have been, like 12 or 11 at that point? I remember loving Batman and Catwoman and being completely creeped out by the Penguin. And just thinking it was so weird and it didn't seem like the comics that I was reading because he was pretty polished and he was a mob boss in the comics and in this movie they made him some sewer dweller that you know ate fish and bit somebody's nose <laughs> i totally agree I, when we get to it yeah that mm-hmm. that was one thing that just struck me as like ugh, this is very very different than yeah. what i was expecting but i remember also just loving it and needing all the toys and playing with them all the time um and then of course batman forever comes out 
and it's a complete departure from the series. And I remember going to the theater and thinking that it was weird that some of the characters were the same in the movie and some were completely, you know, like a brand new Batman. And I remember that being very weird to me. I was like 14 when that came out. And I, I just thought that it was so odd that it was the same Alfred, the same Commissioner Gordon. It was supposed to be the same Gotham, even though it didn't look the same. And it just had a weird tone to it. But I still remember loving it because at the time, once again, I was 14 and Jim Carrey was all the rage. I loved Ace Ventura. I loved The Mask. And he was in Batman Forever. And I thought it was so cool that Jim Carrey was in a Batman movie. So I would walk around the house and I would be quoting him and I would be doing his, you know, when he walks and he does his high knees from one end of uh, Two Faces uh, compound to the other. I just loved Jim Carrey at the time. So he could do no wrong. So therefore the movie was great. (laughs) And then Batman and Robin. um, I remember also loving Arnold Schwarzenegger at the time because of his movies and just thinking that it was so cheesy that I loved Batman and Robin at at the time. Um, When it came out on video and I got it on home video, I started watching it again because at the time you only go see movies once in the theaters or so. Watching it on home video, I really started to hate Batman and Robin. So can't wait to talk about where my arc of that movie has come from 97 to today. So... I think, you know, we'll we'll take a second and just talk about how the film franchise kind of shaped our childhood. So, Brendan, you already talked about how it, you know, Batman Forever was a big part of yours. So can you go a little deeper into the the franchise as a whole? Yeah, well, my my cinematic Batman experience was actually the same as Eric. Um, Batman Forever was the first one I saw in the cinema, which kind of adds to the whole love for it as well. But... I was five, like I said, in 89 when, when the first movie came out and I, I just discovered the 60s show. So I was, you know, mum thought I was too young to go and see that movie on the big screen, mm-hmm. which I probably was. Um, I saw it the following year when it came out. On, well, here in Australia, it didn't come out on VHS until the following year. I know over there it came out the same year for Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And I... I, I kind of remember watching it the first time. I know I was home sick from school, which is why mum got it for me to watch, but I didn't really see that movie and remember it until the following year because it had, it was on television and mum taped it for me. Mm-hmm. So that was when, you know, the repetitive viewing started, started happening. Um, and then in 92, I was eight and... I was supposed to go and see Batman Returns at the cinema. And to this day, I still don't know who it was or what happened, but someone had gotten to my mum who'd taken their kids to see it and was like, no, it's not a kid's movie. He's too young. Don't go and see it. And it was it was so weird because I'd been looking forward to it and then to find out that I couldn't go and see it at the cinema. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I I did a solo episode of, of my podcast, The Nightlight, about a month ago, talking about Batman Forever, and it's kind of the perfect analogy when it comes to Batman Returns. I mean, I had the comic, I had the movie magazine, I had all the toys, 
I had Batman Returns clothes, um, everything. It was it was crazy. Like I I was I collected the we had um, there was sort of like a Happy Meal. We didn't have the yeah. the cups and stuff over here. We had they had they were Batman Returns neck pens, which is those kind of like pens that hang around your neck. But the pens sort of they had like a half size action figure um, for the top half, and the bottom half was a pen. And you pulled the pen out, you know, that's what they the thing was over here. But I had those, you know, it was it was the mm-hmm. first movie that I ever remember really following the marketing and, and getting all the toys and stuff like that, but not being able to see the movie. It was so weird. Yeah. So and again, I didn't see that one until my grandmother, who was the one who put on the sixties Batman for me one day in 1993 because I used to stay at my grandparents' place of a weekend often. Mm-hmm. I just used to like going up there. Um, and I don't know how I did it, but my grandmother knew that mum wouldn't let me watch it, but I talked her into getting it for me. So God bless her. Um, my, my grandmother, she rented Batman Returns for me. So I watched it like three times over the space of a weekend while I was up at their place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was then, you know, cut to, to three years later again and, and Batman Forever coming out. I mean, all bets are off. I was 11. I was smack bang the demographic they were aiming for. You know, 11-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, between Batman Returns and Batman Forever, it can't be understated to the importance of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, between 89 and... One of the best cartoons ever made, too. Oh, yeah. But between like, you know, Batman 89 and Batman Returns, I, I I remained a Batman fan. But, you know, when you're a kid, three years is a long time. And there was sort of nothing to keep me coming back. Whereas, you know, Ninja Turtles came out between those two movies for, for me over here and that sort of took over. And, and yeah, but with Between Returns and Forever, I had the animated series every week. Plus, I was getting the Batman Adventures comics. And, I mean, I was a full-on Batman fan by that stage um so my excitement for forever was palpable like i i i mean i was all in on this movie you know mum like she called up the cinema i remember a week or so before it was coming out to get times and we went like we literally (laughs) went opening morning like first session and that's the first time i ever remember that too going to a movie first Mm -hmm. session opening morning um oh you know it was just it was like that movie was my world in 1995. And yeah. when I think back to, to my childhood, like that movie was my childhood. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny though how much things can change in two years. And it was only two years between Forever and, and Batman and Robin. Uh, I'd started high school. Uh, my interests had changed a little bit. Like I said, you know, sort of was more into music and, you know, girls at that stage as well. Um and I, I did go and see Batman and Robin opening day and I walked out of the just going, okay, well, you know, that was the new Batman movie. Oh, that um, was a movie? Yeah. And, and <laughs> one thing that is slightly embarrassing, Batman and Robin is the first movie that I ever saw twice in cinemas. Um, mm. But the reason why I saw it twice is because I took a girl on a date and we went to the movies because what do you do? You know, when you're 13, you go to the movies and she wanted to see Batman. So I was like, well, okay. And I went again and again, I was like, okay, that was a movie. I mean, I had, I had the, I, 
the movie magazine and I got the comic, but I didn't get any of the toys for, for Batman and Robin because I, you know, I was felt I was too old for toys. And similar to you, I think, where, I don't know, I didn't love it, but I, it, to me, it was just like it was the new Batman movie. It was what it was. And it, it always felt a little bit off to me in that, you know, it was the third actor in the fourth movie. And I know and I understand the argument and I've had the argument many a time with, with our mutual friend Andy and, and a few other people where Batman and Robin is the same movie as Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. And I do understand that argument because story-wise and structure-wise, beat for beat, it pretty much is, well, sort of story-wise, but structure-wise, beat for beat, it's the same movie. Like the same set pieces happen at the same time. They just slightly change for the sake of the story. Um, but for me... I feel that the stuff that was in Batman Forever that some people didn't like, like, you know, the the neon and the sort of the, the, the puns and that sort of stuff, it was cranked to 11 in Batman and Robin. Like, yes, it's the same right. movie, but to me, you know, if a facsimile of something is going to be a lesser version of the original, and that's kind of how I feel about Batman and Robin. Yep. But, you know, then I just kind of, again, like Batman sort of, died off again for me and didn't mm-hmm. really hit back again with a vengeance until 2005. So Eric, what are, what are your memories of uh, not just Batman forever, but, but the films in general? Not nearly as extensive as, as your guys's. Um, <laughs> it just, uh, they were, they were movies and that was, that was really about the extent of it. They didn't affect me that much beyond just being some entertaining films. Um, I saw, Batman on VHS as soon as it came out on VHS and then I actually until just recently never saw Batman Returns start to finish. Oh wow. I had yeah, I had seen about 80 to 85% of it um in bits and pieces when it would be on TV but never a complete start to finish viewing which I just did uh a couple weeks ago just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And there were a few scenes actually I had never seen the i i don't know how in in watching it on tv i missed this it must have been like oddly timed commercial breaks or something but i saw the penguin fight batman i saw the penguin come back uh and die and i saw michelle pfeiffer kiss shrek and uh electrocute him but then I I missed the whole scene where Batman talks to her and says, you know, we're we're split down the middle. We can be together. And he takes his cowl off. Mm-hmm. Like I never saw that actual part of the movie. And I thought it was a really great scene. Yeah. It is. I don't know how I ever missed that. But uh and then yeah, Batman Forever and and Batman and Robin. I was working at a movie theater, so I was around movies all the time and I saw a ton of films and so I went and saw them and they were they were okay I mean you already said you know Batman and Robin was a little cheesy I'm gonna say now though and and maybe again it's you know different age having seen the complete picture of of Batman Returns I'd always thought of the first two Batman the Tim Burton versions as being uh more of a kind of cohesive back-to-back original and sequel. 
and then Batman Forever was the departure. But now, having really seen Batman Returns all the way through, Batman Returns was even a departure from the first Batman. You mentioned, Phil, like the Gotham was different in Batman Forever, but I think I think Tim Burton's second film really started the direction. So I don't I don't actually see Batman Forever as being a, a jarring departure as I as I did before. Again, now seeing the complete picture of Batman Returns because it it's a it's a it's obviously a darker Gotham, mm-hmm. but but even the sets changed. It it felt like a a lower budgeted film. Like things just felt like more like shot on sound stages where the first Batman felt more expansive and large to me, like bigger street scenes and like, wow, they really paid a lot to like use a, you know, an actual street somewhere or shut down something. And that that could have all been on stages too. I don't know exactly where they filmed everything. It was on a back lot in the UK and then Batman Returns was all soundstage in Los Angeles. Okay. So there, you're right. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a bigger weight. Yeah. To that, the first film, it and then uh and then to go to sound stages because then by the time Batman and Robin comes out, like that whole thing feels like it was filmed in a big pole barn somewhere. Like <laughs> I, I get no sense of reality at all from really? that. That Gotham even really exists as a city. It's just, you know, it's name only really. Everything is just these little tiny stages and you know, garishly colored sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have a new appreciation for Batman returns as, as more of the, uh, the gateway drug, if you will, to forever and, and, and Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. because I, I think that's, that really set the tone for those two films. Yeah. So it's interesting because Joel Schumacher was brought on board to, to make the next film and he originally pitched two different ideas for what he wanted to do with Batman Forever. And first the first idea was a Batman Year One film that he wanted to take back, and the studio wasn't interested in doing a prequel, uh, and they didn't want it to be dark. They definitely wanted to sell toys and make sure that they were reaching out to, like Brendan said, the 11, the what, 8 to 11-year-olds, 8 to 12-year-olds. Yeah, um, And the, his second pitch was an even darker movie than Batman Returns, where it was going to be Batman uh, and and Bruce Wayne trying to come to grips with what's happened to the Gotham around him. And he's starting to question whether or not he's the cause that all of these psychopaths are, are arising from the city. And of course the studio again, shot him down for that because they wanted a light, airy, more fun, more accessible to younger children, Batman movie. Yeah, but I think what survived though is definitely that that psychological aspect because obviously uh, seeing um, Nicole Kidman's psychologist character, he was dealing with that. So I think at least some of that was retained because that to me felt like uh, I don't know how to say it any differently an adult Batman element to the film, contrasted by Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones's wild you know just off the charts you know portrayal antics yeah yeah so so it looks like some of that vision was retained a little bit a little bit 
it's just hard because it's the dialogue is so cheesy that Val Kilmer doesn't get the range he should. Uh, you know, I really, after rewatching, I rewatched all four of these movies this past week. And I, you know, being furloughed from work is definitely helping in my movie watching. <laughs> but I, I recognize that Val Kilmer actually plays a pretty good Batman and a pretty good Bruce Wayne. And he does it the best he can with the direction he's given by Schumacher in, in all the wacky, zany, zany stuff that's going on around him. Um, when he's talking to Robin about, or Chris O'Donnell's Robin, Tim Drake as, I'm not sorry, sorry, Dick, not Tim Drake, Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson. When he's talking to uh, Chris O'Donnell's Dick Grayson about not joining him and choosing his own path, like you can, you can see that lifted right from the pages of the comic book in a very profound way. And Val Kilmer does that scene really, really well. Mm. And so I respect him. I I know Val cops a lot of flack and I I, I thought he was good. Like I, (laughs) I really liked him. It was, and the thing too, it was the first time that you saw sort of comic book Bruce Wayne on the screen. Like we went from Batman 89 where, you know, he's having a huge party at his house and this reporter who's been around the world has no idea who he is. Right. You know, and in Batman Returns, he's still kind of a weird, awkward little guy. Um, you know, whereas you get to <laughs> Batman Forever and, and he's, you know, he's the, the billionaire playboy that the whole city knows and you, you see Wayne Enterprises for the first time and mm-hmm. things like that. Like it was, it felt more like the Bruce Wayne that I'd known. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then in Batman and Robin, they shrink him down and there's not as many scenes of Bruce Wayne because George Clooney didn't have the same star power as either Val Kilmer or Michael Keaton. So just funny to think about, (laughs) right? It is right. He's now bigger than both of them, but it's, it's, he was off of ER. He was doing a TV show. Uh, He was very cheap because Arnold Schwarzenegger commanded $25 million to be in the film yeah, I mean, the and, only movie that he'd noted was, you know, really known for was From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. Yep. And you know what's funny is I read uh, when I was looking through facts from Batman and Robin that uh, Joel Schumacher thought of him as Batman because he had the DVD cover to From Dusk Till Dawn and drew Batman's cowl over his face. Mm. And he thought, you know, he'd make a good Batman. Which, who knows mm. if that's an urban legend or, or if that really happened, but... Mm-hmm. On some trivia, some website I found, that's what they said. I'm pretty it sure turns Schumacher out, has said that. Yeah. Yeah, Joel Schumacher draws cowls on everybody. <laughs> or he did, at least. <laughs> if, you see, if you see the magazines on his coffee table, just everybody, the People magazine has cowls <laughs> just on everyone. Say, if, if the rumors that came out about him after he died, he did a lot of things to a lot of people. To a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... He he typically does get the blame, if you will, for for the the poorer films and taking them in a different direction. But uh, again, uh, I think I think Batman Returns should really get that credit for taking the films in the different direction. Um, well, I I think it's, it's interesting it's you say that Batman Returns. Right, right. It's because of it, but yeah. I don't right. think it, I don't think it's definitely. The reason I think that Batman Returns went too dark and the studio wanted to recoup. A lot of kids that went to see the movie said that they were scared of 
Batman Returns. And so I completely get that because I was 11 and I was like, this is weird. I wasn't scared of the Penguin, but I thought it was weird. And I could only imagine if you brought a seven, eight, nine-year-old to the movie theater, you know, prepubescent kid, they could get a little frightened by it. And they wanted to take it in a very lighthearted direction, more like the 66 show. So they told Schumacher, forget any ideas you have. This is what you're filming. And so much to the effect that they even, you know, ratcheted it up to 11 in Batman and Robin. And Joel Schumacher, sitting in his chair before yelling action, would yell, remember, everybody, we're filming a cartoon. Action. And that would yeah. try to get everybody into that mindset that they were filming a cartoon. And a lot of the actors said that that took them out of the movie and made them feel like they what they were doing didn't matter. So the studio definitely took it in a completely different direction for Schumacher to make movies that we got. Schumacher was hired to do – he did the job that he was hired to do. Yep. Um, you know, for better or for worse. But to me, and I don't know if you guys agree or not, the, when they were making Batman Forever – the intent was there to make a solid Batman movie. By the time they got around to Batman and Robin, Batman Forever had been such a success. There was no... the I mean, toy companies were designing the vehicles and everything. The intent for Batman and Robin was to sell merchandise, not to make a good movie. Right. That's why they didn't care. Right. Or it felt like they didn't care anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think partly they didn't. And they thought the franchise was going to keep going because of toy sales. They had already had two other scripts planned. Batman Triumphant was supposed to be the fifth movie. And they were going to break off and do a Robin movie. And it was going to be about Dick Grayson going off and becoming Nightwing from Robin up to Nightwing. And both of those didn't happen because the backlash that Batman and Robin received. Yep. Yep, it's 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 a funny, like it's such a weird thing. Like you know, Batman eighty nine was this monster, you know, hadn't been a blockbuster like it before, um, which made the studio so desperate to get Tim Burton back because he didn't want to come back. So they were like, okay, well, you have complete creative control, which yep. then led to Batman Returns, and you know the the response to Batman Returns of people not liking it or being freaked out or, you know, it not being friendly towards the younger audience and everything, that then led to Batman Forever. The success of Batman Forever led to Batman and Robin. You know, it, it's it. you can draw a line mm-hmm. through all four of those movies and actually even beyond that because, you know, had Batman and Robin been even slightly more successful than it was, we would have got another one right. and another one and we wouldn't have ended up where we were in 2005 with the the Nolan trilogy and, and Batman Begins. Like it's, it's a really interesting story when you sort of sit down and look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Eight years between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins. And those eight years, I think the studio saw what, what people really needed. And yeah. we were very lucky that we got a great director like Christopher Nolan and his brother to write and then helm the series. Um, but it's funny, though, too, in those eight years, I mean, they didn't stop trying to make Batman movies. There was so many projects right. that, you know, got to certain um, levels of, of stages of development, but, you know, the, it didn't stick until, until Nolan came along. But there were many different variations of what could have been the next Batman movie, but 
you know, I was just thinking too, like t- talking about drawing the line between the four movies, you can even go back further and draw it to, to Batman 66 because the whole reason Michael Uslan wanted to make that, that 89 Batman movie was to, to, you know, to break the, the connection of, um, was it Zap Biff? Biff, Pam, Wow, whatever it was, yeah, three yeah. words he is. But he wanted to get people away from the 60s Batman. And it's so funny when you look at, you know, because and Batman 89 did achieve that. But mm-hmm. then eight years later when you're at, at Batman and Robin, it had gone full circle. They made yeah, a 90s version of the 60s show. You know, what's funny is I, I was watching Batman and Robin two nights ago and I had the subtitles on because the I had the volume down a little bit lower. Um, because my wife was working while I was watching it. And there's a scene where um, Robin flies through the air and knocks some hockey ice skating thugs down, and they fall down some stairs in the in the museum sequence. Mm-hmm. And there's no biff, pow, pow, whams, but they're all screaming ow and ah mm-hmm. as they're going down. And the subtitles hit on the screen just like biff, pow, wham. And I thought it was hilarious because there's a pop of an O, an ah, and an O. And I was like, oh, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> it's not the punch, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah. That movie, is, it's a crazy movie. It is. Bat Skates, like, where, what? who thought of this? I just... I, I, we can get into our thoughts on Batman Forever and, and it, Batman and Robin now. Like, just the ridiculous... Thought of it was was Mattel. I'm pretty sure was it Mattel that had them at that stage. <laughs> that's who thought of it. Uh, that's funny. It's pr- funny because it's true, right? Yep. My <laughs> biggest memory of Batman Forever is watching the film, and when Bruce Wayne is uh, talking to Dick Grayson, and it's uh, after the big scene at the the dome, and his family's gone, and um, he. I think he puts his hand on his shoulder or he just, it's just talking to him. And he says, uh, I'm sure you'll land on your feet. And my friend turned to me right at that moment and says, <laughs> too bad your family didn't. <laughs> and I just, I just busted out laughing. I mean, that was like, <laughs> and so now every time you watch the movie, you think of that, right? And then you, yes. you smile yeah, when you, it's supposed to be heartwarming. <laughs> I, I don't even have to watch it. Just you mentioned Batman Forever, and it's that's the first thing that pops in my head is <laughs> <laughs> too bad your family didn't. <laughs> oh god! You know Bob Kane, one of the creators of Batman. His wife is in the movie. He, she's in Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. And she actually has more than just a bit part in Forever and Robin. She plays Gossip Gertie. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because Bob Kane, after Batman uh, Forever came out, said that Val Kilmer was the best Bruce Wayne that had been on film, either TV or in film, up to that point. And I think that's you know that's a testament to what Val Kilmer was able to do with the character in the limited time that he was on screen, putting his his actual effort into scenes like you just described, Eric. I mean, I know it, it makes you laugh, but the heart of Bruce Wayne trying to teach Dick Grayson the way after seeing him kind of going down the same path he did, it really rings true to who Batman was and how his relationship with Robin blossomed. 
Mm-hmm. I think he did a really good job. I mean, Val Kilmer and Joel Schumacher hated each other on set. There was some, uh, I don't know. I don't know how he got the performance out of Val Kilmer. He did because it's a great performance, but they didn't get along. Supposedly there was two weeks on set where they didn't talk to each other. Um, it's just interesting to look back at how productions run and the movies you get out of them when things are, are tense on the set. Well, Joel Schumacher was drawing cowls on everybody, and Val Kilmer <laughs> thought he was going to be replaced at any minute. It's very tense. Yep. And Tommy Lee Jones notoriously hated Jim Carrey. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I told him that he didn't like any of his movies and thought what he did was a mockery of acting, something yeah, like that. Something That's... like, I, I can't sanction your buffoonery or something yeah. like that was the quote. Yeah. Yeah, that I just heard uh, an interview with Jim Carrey. Um, and he was, he was on Howard Stern and he told that story about he, they were filming. He saw Tommy Lee Jones at a restaurant, you know, and he just kind of said, Oh, Hey, like, you know, like you'd say hi to a coworker or something. And Tommy Lee yeah, looked at him and said, I, I cannot tolerate your buffoonery. <laughs> and I just, could you imagine like just saying hi to a coworker and they're like, you are a terrible employee. Like, Wow. All yeah. right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, it, I watched because I watched all these movies again. What I was doing when I watched Batman and Robin uh, is I wrote down every ice pun. Oh God! That Schwarzenegger said, and I tried to find them all. Supposedly, I found some site that said there were twenty-seven of them, and I, I was going to say twenty. YouTube did that. Yeah, yeah. I found twenty-two, so I missed a few of them, and I don't know where I missed them, but. Um, I got 22 of the puns, and I will say my favorite of all of them is when the in the opening scene where we meet Mr. Freeze, um, so his first scene in the museum, he a cop gets dragged out to him, and the cop is begging for mercy. And I, maybe I just didn't hear it or didn't pay attention to it in the past because there's so many ridiculous puns of like, cool party, or the Iceman cometh, but he says... My condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. And I just busted out laughing yesterday when I, I I don't know, maybe I just never recognized that he was saying that his, his Mr. Freeze frozen condition left him cold to your pleas of mercy. But that was just the one that elevated above all the other ones. And that's one that I don't think I ever really heard before. It's funny though. It all comes down to delivery because you just say that line or see it on paper. Like that's something that, you know, the animated mm-hmm. series, Mr. Freeze would say, right. and when, if, you know, if that version of the character delivered it, it mm-hmm. would actually have some weight, but just Schwarzenegger sort of hamming it up. It doesn't, yeah, it does. <laughs> it just comes across as another pun. But the, the thing that's funny too, is Chris O'Donnell has famously said that, you know, he never once shot a scene with Arnold Schwarzenegger right. in that entire movie. Cause unless the camera was on Arnold's face, it was a stunt double. So right. if for that entire shoot, Chris O'Donnell never crossed paths with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Isn't that insane? Really? Yep. That's that's crazy. Yep. It took four that's- hours for Arnold to do his – actually, it took five and a half hours for him to do his makeup because it was going to be four hours. And the costume designer had begged him to wear – to shave his head. And at the last minute – he opted to not shave his head and have to wear a bald cap. And so the bald cap was an extra 90 minutes of makeup time. So he was in the chair for five and a half hours. 
Wow. That's a neat fact, though, about them never mm-hmm. actually sharing a screen or a, a stage CDM, time together yeah. like that. Yeah, because facts like that are, are fascinating. Like when you think about like the movie Heat, you know, mm-hmm. that you've got uh, De Niro and uh, Pacino. Pacino, right. But the whole movie, they're Kilmer. never, yeah, they're, oh, and Val Kilmer in that one too, yeah. But they're never together. So that's that's such a neat thing, like two big stars, De Niro, Pacino, but never never really share, I think, only the, the one scene mm. in the whole film. Sort of like the the, uh, the Fugitive, same thing. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones are barely together. Right. And But meanwhile, they're, you know, they're in the movie together, but they're not in the movie together. It's that's always a something that fascinates me about filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's, it's very interesting to think how, how these films are made and you really just have to plan around people's schedules. And you, if you have the star power of Arnold Schwarzenegger, like he had in 95, he basically gets to dictate what he wants to do and you just have to deal with it. He writes it in his contract and gets paid right. 25 million, but you're really just getting close-ups of his face when he's in the costume and then when he's out of the costume, just, you know, he's walking around and he's not even head to toe in makeup because he's wearing big clothes. So they just had to do his neck to his head and his hands, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. crazy too. I mean, that you know, sort of again, drawing the line with those four movies, like, and it started with Batman 89 where it, well, even by Batman Returns, the question wasn't what's the movie about, you know, who's Batman, whatever it was, who's playing the villains. Mm-hmm. It was about who were the biggest names you could get to fill out the villain role. That's how you end up with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Yeah. You know, he's the biggest star on the planet in the mid nineties. And of, you know, of course you're going to get him to play Mr. Freeze. Like Uma Thurman was a weird choice in that. Yes, she was famous, but I mean, she was only famous from Pulp Fiction really. Um, and right. If you believe the the rumors, you know, she was, you know, Poison Ivy was described in the script as the most beautiful woman in the world. And in Hollywood, every actress thinks they're the most beautiful woman in the world. And apparently everyone wanted that role. But mm-hmm. Schumacher wanted Uma Thurman. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just, it was, yeah, it was all about the villains. Which again, takes you back to the 60s show. <laughs> right, right. Well, I had, I had heard that uh, that's why Michael Keaton didn't want to continue with the series was because because of uh the villains just kind of outshining batman batman's like secondary and it's like but who's the villain gonna be but i did a little more reading about it and it turns out he didn't even want to come back for batman returns uh he wasn't interested in it but they uh he needed the money at the time for a deal he was doing a real estate deal so he was like okay i'll i'll do the film again so um like I said, I, I, I'd always heard that he was tired of, you know, after the second film, like, ah, I'm getting, you know, spotlights on, not on me. But he, I guess he didn't even think that the sequel was uh, was anything he wanted to do originally at all anyway. So um, also Tim Burton didn't even want to do Batman Returns because he was like, what, a, a sequel? That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I did my thing. I'm done. I don't right. know where we can go with this. But then when um, he did the sequel, he was planning a third movie. So he he got on board with doing a trilogy. Sure, probably, probably warmed up to it after right. he thought about it a little bit. Um, another uh, sort of going in a well, sticking with Batman Returns rather. 
for a movie called Batman Returns, you really don't even get Batman until 35 minutes into the film, except for when he shows up real quick for like two minutes to fight off the first appearance of the circus gang. And he doesn't even say anything. He just shows up and disappears. You, you don't see Michael Keaton and have any real substance of the Batman or Bruce Wayne until 35 minutes into a film. So kind of find that ironic that Batman returns, but you, yeah, you're going to watch a lot before you really see <laughs> him return. Yeah. And, I don't dislike Batman Returns, but my biggest problem with that movie is you have a movie with Batman, Penguin, and Catwoman. And the hmm. most pivotal character and the person who the story revolves around is the original character of Max Shrek, who has got no history in the comics. Shrek right. is the real villain of that movie. And it's Agreed. like, dude, you've got Penguin and Catwoman, like... Why? It, it, but again, it was Tim Burton wanting to do his own thing. You know, it's that's that's how yeah. they got him to make the movie. And I just, it's even as a kid, I'm like, who is this Max Shrek guy? Why do I care? Right. Yeah. Agreed. I was right there with you. And in in my years of like just catching it on TV and never seeing the whole thing, that always sort of annoyed me about the film, which is I think why I never even went back to really watch it because every time I'm I had it on it's like, why am I watching a character you created when you've got, you know, behind the Joker, the next two biggest, you know, I mean, Riddler, I suppose would be the, the next one up there. But uh, wait, what, what are you wasting your time with some made up guy? But now again, reading about Batman returns, I'm, I guess that's, <laughs> that's the effect Batman's had on me is now that I've seen Batman returns. Now I'm fascinated to know more about this film <laughs> because I would missed it for so long. And now I'm like reading all this stuff, but originally Harvey Dent was supposed to be in it. And I don't think the Max Shrek character was going to exist. There was a right. original version where, where it was going to be Harvey Dent and the kiss at the end with the, the sparks is how he became disfigured. That was supposed to set up the next, Batman, but then the whatever whoever took over and different vision got realized there. But uh Well when when Schumacher signed on for Batman Forever, he was under the impression he was making with Michael Keaton. Because Michael Keaton was supposed to play the role. But the other thing is too, like they had to pay out the contracts for Billy D. Williams, who was supposed to play Two Face, right. and Marlon Wayne's who was supposed to be playing Robin because he was supposed to be Robin in Batman Returns. There was yep. even an action figure. I mean, when the action figure came out, they recolored it. Um, but there was an action figure and he was supposed to be Robin in the third movie. So he, again, he he got paid for Batman Forever and he was never in it. So interesting. I thought wow. I read somewhere that Billy Dee Williams didn't actually get any money from it. I but thought that he, I thought they had to pay out his did. contract because he was supposed to return in the role. Hmm. I could be wrong, but I know Marlon Wayne's definitely got paid. So I think um, you know. We, we, I don't know if we want to beleaguer the point anymore, but any other crazy things that stand out to everybody? I mean, the whole movie of Batman and Robin is just crazy. Anything that stands out to anybody? I one of the things. Well, I'll get to mine in a second. But either of you, any any other things you want to talk about with Batman Forever or Batman and Robin? Yeah, Batman Forever had a killer soundtrack as well. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, the, I was going to mention U2 that. The songs, it's still a banger in my opinion. Everyone goes to Kiss from a Rose, but mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me is the jam from that movie. Yep. Yes. 
Yep. But I will agree with that, but I probably saw the video for Kiss by a Rose more than I saw the uh, Hold Me, Kiss Me, Thrill Me, Kill Me. Or- Joel Schumacher directed that video too. Yeah, he did. Oh, they really? at the same time as the movie, so he yeah. used some of the sets. Hmm. And that song was a like a it was an album track on a previous Seal album that did nothing, and I can't remember if it was Seal's manager or someone sent it to Joel Schumacher, and he liked it, so they used that song and it became Seal's biggest hit. But it was on an album that's that was right released prior to Batman Forever, and no one had heard this album track. Yes, I remember reading that, and it was a uh, yeah, it was a B side kind of a round out the album kind of song and yeah ironically becomes his biggest hit yeah and then of course batman and robin's great song <laughs> from the smashing pumpkins or the billy corgan is the end, is the end. yep that i like that song too i mean 97 was prime alt rock time for me i was playing guitar and uh in a lot of bands when i was 16 just ripping anything that we could find and that song was one of the songs that my band, one of my bands played. But even like even the soundtrack they tried was a poor facsimile of the Batman Forever one. I mean, you know, Smashing Pumpkins were you two, R. Kelly was Seal. Um, you know, like it's that's probably not a comparison that Seal likes <laughs> being compared to no, R. Kelly. But uh, yeah, they, they just tried to copy it, and, and in my opinion, it it, it just didn't work. Yeah. On any level. Uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up that ju- I just wanted to ask if anybody had insight because I couldn't figure any of this out. What happened? What was the deal in th- at the end of Batman and Robin when they've changed into suits that have silver on them? <laughs> I, ca- I can't find anywhere that talks about it other than there's a goof when Robin comes back to the Batcave after that scene's over. He's wearing the red suit or the suit, his, which I thought also was odd yes. that it's the Nightwing suit in red. Instead yeah. of a Robin suit, but how Look, do, do you know anything about this, Brendan, as to why they're wearing silver yeah, all over their dude. suits? Action figures. Honestly, that's all it is. I mean, in in Batman Forever, Batman had a different suit for the finale. But right. there was a, there was a reason for that. One. Yeah, like the Batcave was destroyed, it was on a lower level and it survived. Mm-hmm. Um, in Batman and Robin, they just rock up in silver suits because why the hell not? It's another action figure we can make. But, yeah, you're right. Like, after they get back and, you know, they're giving Alfred the cure to McGregor yep. Syndrome, which is named after the producer. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing the the red version of the suit. So, because, yeah, I, I think Schumacher wanted to tackle the Robin becoming Nightwing story, but it wasn't in the script, but they the suit it was still the Nightwing suit. So it was very odd, very odd choice. But yeah, there's, there's no story reason for it other than the fact that, well, this is the finale, so they've got to be in different suits. Right. I guess, as you were saying, a poor facsimile of the movie before it, right? Yep. In an original uh, version, Batman and Robin, um, Alfred was supposed to die and then be replaced by Mr. Belvedere for for the fifth film and uh that that just never panned out yeah unfortunately right 
<laughs> well, thankfully, Alfred knew how to, you know, upload his subconscious to a computer in the mid nineties. Yeah. Oh yeah, how many, how, many, little... how many floppy disks would have that taken? I know, a little Max Headroom <laughs> action. Crazy. It's, uh... I can't believe it's so, so sentient that he's talking to Alicia Silverstone's Barbara character, which. That's a whole nother departure from the comics. Barbara Williams instead of Barbara Gordon, making her the niece of Alfred. It's, I thought it was odd that they had this whole side story of trying to expand the mythology of the Pennyworth family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and the thing that I find really weird is Alicia Silverstone's, what, early 20s in that movie? She's 17. She's a teenager in the movie. Or yeah. 18. But the photo of her mother looks like something from the 20s. Right. Right. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> How old was Alfred's sister when she had you? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, pretty crazy. You know, she was body shamed for being in the movie because yeah. there, um, some reports came out that she wouldn't fit in her suit, which yep. is really sad that people would go and, and shame her. Nobody shamed any of the other actors for anything. Of course, no. it's a young woman. I mean, look, she wasn't a good actress in that movie, but she looked amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer w- would pass out from how tight the Catwoman costume was. Well, they had mm-hmm. to vacuum her into that. Yeah. That's insane. Wow. <laughs> also, something I didn't know about Batman Returns is uh, that last scene where Catwoman looks up and you realize she didn't die at the very end. That was that was added. Yeah, they, really late they production, and it cost yeah. a lot of money for that one shot. <laughs> yes, two hundred fifty thousand for that. Wow, I didn't know that. It was it was to either make a a spinoff movie of just Catwoman or to just have her survive for the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, it was an afterthought after they had already finished the film. Hmm. Well. We're all lucky that we got the Catwoman spinoff we deserved, aren't we? <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> That'll be a whole other podcast for sure. <laughs> I only saw that movie once. Funnily enough, though, and I, I have said it before, I do own the DVD, but only because the DVD has a featurette on it of the history of Catwoman. And it's a really good sort of like half hour, 40 minute doco. Um, but yeah, that's the only reason. I, I, even when I bought the DVD, it was like a four ninety five special. <laughs> so it's I worth the forty minute. It, yeah, I grabbed it really cheap, and I'm like, I'll pay five bucks for this for the doco, but I'm never going to watch that movie. <laughs> that's funny. I think I I didn't see it in theaters. I watched it once at home, and I think that came out during the prime of being able to download things on the internet for free. Well, not for free, but. Uh, illegally download movies and i downloaded catwoman i think i was living in florida at the time and i watched it in one of my apartments in florida and just hated every minute of it it's so weird to think that that movie came out only 12 months before batman begins right like right. yeah wow <laughs> oh gosh all right guys i think this is a good as good a place of any to wrap up so any final thoughts we want to give to the franchise or at least Batman Forever, Batman and Robin? Uh, Batman Forever will always hold a place in my heart. Like I said early on, it's it's the movie of my childhood. And, you know, I, I can look at it objectively and I know it's not groundbreaking cinema. It's not a fantastic movie. But, you know, the 
the rose-colored glasses of, of nostalgia are very, very strong with that movie, and, <laughs> and I'll, I'll always, always love it. So it definitely didn't ruin your childhood. Oh, God, it made my childhood. <laughs> it made movie. your childhood. <laughs> Eric? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's this, this is a – this particular topic kind of bridges childhood, actually, because without the this series, there really is no – childhood Batman to speak of. I mean, except for the reruns of the Batman 66. So, uh, I would say none of it ruined my childhood. Um, the Batman forever and, and Batman and Robin, they were definitely got more and more ludicrous between the two and kind of, like we said, went back and made a, Batman 66 by the time it came full circle of wanting to get away from it and then ended up becoming it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like they say in, uh, the dark Knight. you know, you either (laughs) die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So (laughs) (laughs) there was a meme about that a couple of years ago. It was like, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become Batman and Robin. (laughs) Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But no, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, as far as childhood goes, that, that first Michael Keaton Batman was, uh, or Batman 89 was definitely uh, incredible when I saw it on VHS. And, and then the rest of the films, uh, just fine additions to, uh, you know, kind of be chuckled at and uh, move on. Yeah, none of them were childhood ruining for me either. I, like I said, when I was, however old I was when Batman and Batman forever came out. Uh, I guess I was 14. I was the height of Jim Carrey and I loved Jim Carrey. So he made the movie for me. I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. It was only years later that I realized that it wasn't great. Or at least it wasn't as good as my mind had made it to be. I should say that way. Um, And I think that just comes with, how the times and movie making has changed. Um, you know, Jim Carrey, I, I don't find any of Jim Carrey's old movies funny anymore. Uh, I, you know, might be sad to say, but I can't watch Ace Ventura all the way through. I get really annoyed and bored with it. Um, the mask, same thing. There are parts that I love, but parts I just can't watch anymore. And it kind of goes with Batman forever. I just, I think Jim Carrey's fine. He was told to be himself in this movie and that's what he did, and I just don't find that as funny anymore. So it it didn't ruin my childhood, but looking back on it, I definitely don't appreciate it as much. And then Batman and Robin just went in such a weird direction, you know, building on what had come before it, but just in such a like Eric Eric used the best word, ludicrous. <laughs> ludicrous entries to the franchise. So I I like them well enough, but I don't see myself watching them. Again, I hadn't watched Batman Forever or Batman Returns in a long time before rewatching them this past week, and I don't see myself turning them on again. Where 89 and Returns are pretty, you know, every year or two I'll watch them. Batman Returns especially is a holiday movie for me. Almost every year around Christmas time, I watch Batman Returns. So, you know, I, I don't think either of the other two movies in this four movie series will ever rank highly enough for me to want to watch them on the regular. But they didn't ruin my childhood. They gave me toys to play with. They gave me great songs, as we talked about on the soundtrack. 
and uh, definitely hold a place in Batman history that can't be replaced. And as Brendan said, we wouldn't have got what came after if not for them. Batman Returns is going on my Christmas list now, for yeah. sure. It's a fun movie to watch during the holidays. Um, and it's it's a good film. It's just not a great film. And I, I know a lot of people Christmas, might... Like Danny DeVito groping a young woman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that... Biting someone's nose off. Yeah. He, he was very oversexed, I think. <laughs> well, when I mean, you're locked in... up in the sewer for 50 years, I mean... Or 30 years, whatever it's supposed 30. to be. He looks like he's 70, but... Sure, but still, for a, again, kid's movie, I mean, it, it went dark, and then it just went, like, way creepy with that whole bit. Oh, yeah. I think you can be in the sewers and be crazy and not necessarily have to be oversexed, but... Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> just the pussy I've been looking for. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that never made it to the television versions that I watched. <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, Brendan, where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you have to say? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lowy007, L-O-W-Y-007. Um, you can follow my podcast on Twitter at NightlightPod, K-N-I-G-H-T, uh, is, you know, night is in dark night. Um, and like I said, I'm also always on Holy Backcast, which you can find the info for that one at holybackcast.com. Mm-hmm. Great, 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 great. Very insightful uh, Batman speak on both of your podcasts, Nightlight and Holy Backcast. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Eric, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found on my other podcast, Everything, Anything, and Nothing Really. It's on YouTube iTunes, Podbean, wherever podcasts are sold. And for me, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And I have been on episodes of the Real Fans Podcast Network, Real Fans for Real Movies, Holy Podcast, Grim Grinning Hosts podcast about theme parks, and Disorder, every Disney film in order. You can also follow this podcast at Podcast Ruined on Twitter podcast ruined one word on twitter thank you all for joining us for this episode about the batman quadrology and we hope this podcast didn't ruin your childhood could it be i've misunderstood this podcast ruined my childhood tonight's forecast a freeze is coming allow me to break the ice you are not sending me to the cooler freeze well what killed the dinosaurs Stay cool, bird boy. Let's kick some ice. Show some mercy. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. All right, everyone. Chill. It's a cold town. Cool party. (laughs) Can you be cold, Batman? Chill. To perfection. Revenge is a dish best of cold. Winter has come at last. Freeze. Freeze. Ice. Freeze. Ice. Winter fiber. Frozen. Ice. Freeze. Winter ice. Ice. Freeze. Winter. Winter. Freeze. Cold. Frosty. I mean, 95 was a huge year 
And I will say that I liked Batman Forever in the theaters, and I loved it because Jim Carrey was in it. But after starting to watch a lot of those other movies in that video store, my appreciation for it started to fall and wane. That's understandable. Yeah, because there was just so much other great cinema in 95. And like I said, I, I didn't get to see all these movies in theaters, but I watched them behind a desk at this little crappy video store on a 11 or 13-inch TV. <laughs> we got Usual Suspects and Seven and all these other great movies that came out in 1995. Uh, Jumanji, 12 Monkeys. I remember 12 Monkeys was one of my favorite movies that year. Waterworld was one of my favorite movies that year. Goldeneye, Brendan, you're a huge on fan golden i came out yeah that was 95 too bad boys right eric we've talked about will smith movies bad boys came out that year yep desperado i fell in love with salma hayek because desperado came out that year so many so many great movies 